0: you is for your utmost benefit. Your ears, your heart and the light within you are now tuned to lasers in the jungle. It is here that you will be encouraged to contemplate the magic of the music that you love. Has some of the music been transferring esoteric wisdom to within our consciousness? Why and how does it nourish and comfort us? Is it because it was made in love and is love? How come some sounds and songs make your body shiver or tingle? Are some of your favourite musicians part of an ancient divine order, a mystery school or a benevolent bloodline? The choice to know is yours down the rabbit hole we go. Thank you for listening to Lasers in the Jungle. And now, your host, John Wills.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Lasers in the Jungle. My name is John Wills. My friends call me J-Dub. And on this episode, we will be discussing the subject of symbolism. This is a music philosophy podcast, and we will discuss some music today, But we will also discuss some philosophy. Symbolic literacy is very, very important. It is so important that Mario from Symbolic Studies is our guest today. That's symbolicstudies.com. I took some extra time with Mario on this episode because this is that important. It's very, very important, so we took some extra time. Now, before we begin today's show, I want to remind everyone of the definition of occult. I discussed the definition of occult on a previous episode, but it bears repeating. Occult. Spiritual truths which are hidden by words, parables, allegory, symbolism. So that's just a reminder that these symbols, myths, allegories, celestial bodies, and constellations, they're all hiding truth, making them occult. So let me wrap up by just saying An hour into this episode, Mario shares, and he does so very eloquently, his beliefs on True North and the sacred center. It reminded me of a few excerpts from the book of John, specifically John 10.30, John 14.10, and John 15.5. Mario, thank you for being on the show and being, as you said, a perpetual student. What a great ethos, a perpetual student. Enjoy the show, everybody. And Mario's my guest. Mario from Symbolic Studies is here. And I'm very grateful, Mario, that you've taken some time from your busy schedule studying symbols and
2: creating content for a couple of years now, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've been studying symbols for a while longer than that, but I've actually started putting out content, you know, on YouTube and whatnot over the last two or three years now. And it's been a fun little journey. And I've learned quite a bit from doing that as well. So it's been a, a really awesome sort of experiment in many ways. And it's helped my symbolic awareness just by putting it out there and getting feedback from people. So yeah, Symbolic Studies is around three years old, I would say.
1: Well, I think it's fantastic. I, It's been in my life for, I guess I started following your channel probably about a year and a half ago, maybe a little over a year ago, somewhere in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And it was my pursuit to really understand the teachings of Christ better and the Bible better. There's so many symbols, and especially a lot of references to the night sky throughout Mm -hmm. the scriptures, you and your... Nosis has been an aid to me in my past, so I'm real grateful, Mario. I think it's really fantastic, and I know it's hard work. I know you put in a lot of time. I can tell you spent a lot of time researching, and we get a little glimpse of all that hard work, and it's really awesome, so thank you. Excellent. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for supporting. Hey, well, so you were a graphic artist beforehand, or you still are. What was the thing that kind of provoked you to say, you know what, I need to roll up my sleeves and
2: really dig into these, the subject matter? In a way that I haven't before. Great question. Yeah. So I've been a graphic designer for about 20 years now, and I've designed anything and everything you can imagine. So logos and billboards and ads and commercials and packaging and things like that. And I just realized over time that I wanted to know more about some of the symbols that I was using in my professional career. And so I've always been an artist. I consider myself a lifelong artist. And so... Throughout my 38 years of existence, I've refined my eye. And with design work as well, I've really fine-tuned my eye to just kind of notice different things about photography and illustration and, you know, things of that sort, composition, color theory. And it just made sense after a while that I would become interested in symbolism. But I'll say the thing that really changed it was coming across a book of symbols, probably around man, I don't know, 13 years ago, something like that. And I did not know that symbolism was actually a study or a subject that you can get into. And so when I cracked open that book, I'm like, oh, they're talking about the symbolism of the cross, the symbolism of the sun, you know, of all of these different animals, all of these different deities and planets and things like that. And so it was kind of love at first sight. So I bought that first book And ever since then, I've just been buying more books, and it's kind of been my thing. So I have a really decent symbolic reference library now, and I'm familiar with most of the books out there when it comes to, you know, symbolism and whatnot. And then from there, you know, eventually I would find tarot and astrology and things like that, and the floodgates just kind of opened up, and symbolism just became my thing. And so it was kind of a slow sort of process getting interested in symbolism, but I would say it was that first book that was really the catalyst for me to realize that, oh, this is actually something that you can pursue and, you know, spend quite a bit of time on if you wanted to. And I was interested. And because of my design background, it just seemed like it was a really good fit. One of the cool things about it actually has been that my symbolic studies has actually really helped me with design work and has really influenced my design as well. So I'm more symbolically literate Mm -hmm. Then I would say perhaps the average designer. And so it's really helped me when it comes to branding and coming up with ad campaigns and things like that.
1: Oh, I can only imagine. I wish I would have contacted you before I got the, hey, maybe we could do a version two of my logo. There you because, go. Because um, the person did not have the same literacy as you, but it's still a good logo regardless, but it could be better. What book would you recommend? I've got some books that I started with, but I'm curious for you, when you first cut your teeth in symbolism, what was the book? Or what? I heard you mention one of them the other day on King of Cups.
2: I forget which one it was, though. I didn't write it down. I was driving. <laughs> no worries. No worries. You know, the book that I have, or the first book that I purchased, I actually still have. And it's an okay book, you know, but it's not really something I would recommend to people. The book okay. I would recommend to people, if you want one really solid reference book, it's actually this one that I have right here. And so it's called The Penguin Dictionary of Symbols, and it is kind of a thick little book. The references, the entries are really concise, but they put a lot of excellent information in there. And, you know, you can look up so many different things in this book, but this one has been a valuable resource. And the penguin you know this publisher didn't originally put it out so it's kind of a repackaged sort of thing okay and i should know by now when it came out but i think it came out sometime in the 60s or 70s and it was translated and for my money i just really appreciate everything that's going on here so this is one of my go-to's that i recommend to people
1: yeah okay
2: looks like it's got some pictures that's that's cool yeah yeah definitely
1: i uh, started with this uh what's it called Dictionary of the Sacred Languages and Ancient Scriptures or of All Myths. All Myths and Scriptures by G.A. Gaskell. And it's Perfect. fantastic. It just it gives me everything I need for every word. And then this other book that I've got is called the uh TW Done, Bible Myths, Their Parallels and Other Religions. It really helped just kind of tie in that all these symbols are always used over and over across all these different uh periods of time and uh, belief systems.
2: That's right. That's right. Exactly. I actually love that G.A. Gaskell book. I have it right here. It's a fantastic resource. So I was really excited when I came across this one. I found it at a used book sale, basically, and I started flipping through it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely brilliant. I love it. So yeah, that's one I would recommend as well. I don't have the other one. I'll have to look for that one.
1: But I heard you talk about William Blake before and I've really come to appreciate him as I've studied more and more about the symbolism. And it's cool how these artists or these alchemists or anyway, these wise people, we kind of know them a little bit like William Blake. I knew who he was, but when I started studying symbolism, really, really began to unfold in a way that I they didn't teach me in school. They taught me about William Blake, but they didn't really teach me about William Blake. And it's that's what's beautiful about pursuing you know some of these occult or esoteric teachings or subjects is uh there's just so much to unfold
2: absolutely oh yeah no william blake has been a big inspiration to me i'm actually way more familiar with his visual work because he's also a poet you know but one of my favorite things that my girlfriend and i did in england was go to the british tate museum and see some of his original works which was fantastic. So there's a room full of William Blake artwork. And so uh, that was really cool. But he's someone to me that it's like over time, I just appreciate him more and more and more and more. And there's just newer things that I'm seeing in some of his paintings. The subject matter to me as well is really, really interesting. He picked a lot of interesting myths to cover and storylines to cover and so, yeah, he's someone that I just have a high reverence for. Absolutely. I really like his style, too, of just how he chooses to create, you know, these paintings and whatnot. So you can spot a William Blake painting, I think, uh, at least for me. I can spot it from like a mile away. I, I, he has a signature style that uh, I think is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to learn more about his thoughts on sound. Mm. And, uh, he's got some cool thoughts on the ear. <laughs> And, I believe um, it, and, and and some cool, you know, drawings or illustrations of of the ear. And anyway, I can't wait to learn more about that. But I think that the uh, one things that we always do on these shows is we do a little bit of etymology, if that's okay, Mario. And one of the words is this word divination, and it's a word that I don't know. I, I'm becoming a lot more comfortable with it, more comfortable than I was two or three years ago. I hadn't had a tarot card reading my whole life mm. until uh, last year. And that's a form of divination. You're very familiar with it. You're good at it or you practice it. My experience to that, I lived in South Louisiana for a period of time and going to Jackson Square in New Orleans. You know, there's just a different vibe. It's a different energy of those psychics at their tables along with all the other, what feels to be kind of almost like a gypsy atmosphere. Mm. So there's certain experiences that I've had with this concept of divination early in my life experience. But now I'm learning that goodness gracious, when I explore this word and I really begin to think about my life experience with it, I become so much more excited about it. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so much more excited about it. And, and it's because of what the word means,
2: honestly. It's it's a beautiful word. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um I mean, the first thing that sticks out to me is the fact that there's in as an in, IN right there, divination. Yeah. And then I said the word interesting. And so I think of, you know, going within, right? Divination, that the fact that we are connected to source and that we can divine, we can go within and pull out, you know, intriguing information, pull out insights, things of that sort. And so to me, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. It's almost like dive in, dive into self, you know, to connect with maybe your higher self, or the creator, if you want to put it that way. So to yeah. me, divination is very much a uh, a tool for inner reflection. That's how I tend to use the tarot, by the way. Yeah. And so yeah. I use it for insights. There's that word again, in. So for insights, I think it's fantastic. And I don't really so much use it for fortune telling or for you know trying to tell someone's future or things like that. I like to use it as more of a psychological sort of tool clearly there's a synchronistic spiritual aspect to it as well. But I think it's kind of best used to kind of go within and, you know, maybe explore what's happening in the depths of self. And so that's how I tend to use it. But yeah, what do you see in the word divination?
1: Well, again, my first thought is to kind of relate to my life experience with it. Like, how do I know Mm -hmm. the word? And I like doing that because I know that this is something that is part of my life it's because of my wife she's from south georgia and she came from a family of farmers and one of the gifts her grandfather had was he could divine the rod the the, the it's a hickory stick i don't know what kind of piece of wood it is a willow i don't know what kind of wood it is but it's a wood that would snap down when he got over the water source and they drill a well out in the field for their crops yeah and it was it was a real asset in the community that he lived in he and a few people had that otherwise gift right so it's not real hocus pocus when i begin to think about it in a way that i really have lived with it and when i begin to understand these principles of as above so below and are just how these realms really work mm-hmm. as i've explored these subjects i understand the energy that we apply to these things is real it's very real
2: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. No, there's a practical use for dowsing right and so you're talking about the um, you know this whole idea of being a water witch and knowing where the you should tap yeah. the well and everything else right it's fascinating there are some older statues of egyptian deities and it looks like they're holding a staff or it looks like they're holding a scepter i've heard some people make the case that what they're actually holding are divining rods not all of them but some of them are actually holding divining rods to be able to wow. do exactly what you're talking about so there might be instances in world history or art history where we think that they're just Simply holding a wand but actually it's for you know dowsing purposes that's really interesting
1: yeah yeah but etymology so the word if you look it up it says this pie word is uh, die that you as you refer mm-hmm. to is to shine uh, or the sky heaven God so this it's clearly a word that's connected to the divine and this idea of inspired by God you know finding that water source is an act of God that's an inspiration it's divine inspiration that's available to all of us, by the way. It's not some secret or magic thing. It's it's available, but it does require uh, belief and and you know pursuit. It's not going to just
2: happen. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then also to deity, I know is part of that di beginning portion of the word there. So yeah, a reference to God, uh, the supreme deity. And to me, it's interesting too that just divination. There are countless methods with how you can use divination. So people use tea leaves, people use bones, people have used entrails, people have used clouds and birds that are flying by. And, you know, even kind of running into like a spirit animal, there's a divination thing kind of going on there. And so the ways in which you can divine are countless, which I think is fascinating too.
1: I think it's fascinating also. And it's one of those neat things for me that I get to pick up and put back down because it's so vast. There's so mm. much to explore and so much for me to, uh, I don't know, just kind of learn more about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let's move
1: on to the word alone. This is a hard word because it feels like a, it's a sad word, this idea of loneliness, <laughs> or being apart uh, from others. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciate this word because of this idea of wholly oneself, mm-hmm. or holy, kind of being whole and complete with oneness, all one. That's what the word means. (laughs) When we are alone, I guess we are apart from others. But
2: that doesn't necessarily mean sadness. No, no, no. In fact, the way that this entry puts it, holy oneself, you know, holy, it's interesting that we have the word whole. And there's a few different ways of uh, interpreting that word, at least phonetically, right? Whole, H O L E, whole as in holy, H O L Y, and then whole, W H O L E. And so you are complete, you know, you are a complete being, you know, you encapsulate the above and the below. Like I said, if you go within, this is how you get in touch. I believe, I believe that externally and internally, you can get in touch with your creator and with the cosmos and the universe, know thyself and you'll know the universe. So you in and of yourself are complete and there's something to be said about being comfortable by yourself, by being comfortable in your own skin, by knowing who you are, what your moral compass is, you know, by having a uh, backbone, by having a perspective, by having faith. And so I think that that is partly what the tarot journey has taught me. It's strengthened my relationship with self. And that is one of the more important relationships you have to kind of keep in mind here. That man in the mirror or that woman in the mirror, knowing who you are and where you're at, I think is something that I don't think will ever not be important and not be relevant. And so with symbolism, with the tarot, with divination, there's just an aspect to me that always relates back to self. And so that's something I tend to emphasize mm-hmm. in my personal sort of like lessons and things like that. Yeah, But yeah, alone, all one, exactly.
1: Yeah, and it, it seems to be a real consistent Theme of the way, if you will, is uh, practicing stillness and uh, mm-hmm. kind of going on walkabout, uh, spending time alone, solo. I have somebody close to me right now that's spending eight weeks in the wilderness backpacking. Not all of it's solo, but it is a uh, very intimate time with nature. And there's plenty of time for stillness and that kind of finding that oneness when you're within nature. But also committing that time for some solo time, you know, just like, mm-hmm. all right, it's time to be alone. <laughs> it's hard to do. It's, you know, it's, some people can't do it, sadly. They can't. It's something they're not comfortable doing. I wish exactly. everyone were, would do it and be comfortable with it. But I understand the tension. Sometimes if you haven't done it a lot, it's, it might be difficult. To be alone with your thoughts.
2: That's right. That's right. No, it's true. Um, the other thing I'll say about alone is because of the all one, literally the number one is just a straight vertical line, right? It looks very similar to the I. And then that's a reference to I, as in self, me, myself, and I, which is also a reference to our I as in how we see our vision. And so there's a few interesting sort of things kind of going on here with that, with the one being that straight up and down line, and then that being kind of a reference to self. And, you know, when people refer to self, sometimes uh, you can refer to self as like, you know, you're number one or uh, whatever. You're the first in line sort of thing. And so to me, that's kind of interesting. Also, if we're talking about all one and you're just writing it out and it's a lowercase sort of thing, those two L's look like ones as well. And then it's followed by an actual, the word one. And so yeah. I think uh, it's a reference back to self and oneself and everything else. It's kind of how I see it, at least.
1: I totally agree. It's a, I think this is one of the coolest words alone. It's, it, it's totally underrated. Everybody thinks it's a,
2: <laughs> a sad
1: word. It's, it's a real powerful word.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: It's sort of like nothing or no thing. Two is a really cool word, the no thing. But let's get into symbolism. I uh, The reason this is so important, everybody, is if it's not obvious already, can't really read these symbols or read these lyrics and songs without having some amount of symbolic literacy. And because it bears repeating, I just want to go ahead and read a couple scriptures. I've read them before, but why not? Psalm 78, 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Dark sayings is hidden sayings or ones that are obscured. Proverbs Proverbs 1, verse 5 through 6, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the ones who understand obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. And then I'll say this, Matthew 13, verse 34 through 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world, the last scripture I want to read is uh, Galatians 4, 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. They're talking about Abraham and Sarah there, Paul is, telling us right there, this is an allegory. This idea of Abraham and Sarah, it's foundational in these Abrahamic religions. But that story of Sarah and Hagar and all of that, it says right here, is an allegory in Galatians 4.24. So if these are allegories and real important, beautiful myths and stories, in the same desire to understand these songs that these musicians have written, we have to understand these symbols. we got to understand what these allegories are saying and what these symbols really represent. And this is why symbolic literacy is so important. It's like really like foundational. If you want to learn more about something called esoteric wisdom, you have to study symbols. It's just part of the deal. And uh, it, the cool thing is, I think it's fun. I love it. I love this idea of puzzles. I love the idea of uh, encryption or decoding. To me, it's really fun. I find it enjoyable. And I I hope that other people do too. But Mario, would you mind giving kind of the 101 introduction about symbolism and maybe why it's so important if you're going to maybe explore some of these topics? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So the way I look at it is that the world of symbolism came before the world of matter. That is to say, spirit came before matter. So the world of ideas, the world of concepts, and I would say by extension to the dream realm, all of these things came before physical 3D reality, in my opinion. And God said, let there be light. So an idea was expressed before the actual things came and became tangible. And so to me, what you're taught in school is the exact opposite, is that the material world came first and then meaning came after that i think it's actually flipped in reality i think truly the purpose as an example purpose came before anything else meaning came before anything else so that's why everything around us has a hidden meaning to it it doesn't matter what you're looking into if you're reading scriptures from the bible if you're trying to decode you know what's on your desk or an album you know artwork cover it doesn't matter what it is you can decode anything and everything if you go out and take a walk this tree represents something different from, say, this tree or this flower from that flower. It's really, really fascinating. So whether you're getting into astrology, if you're decoding your favorite film or favorite myth, parable, what have you, there's meaning behind all of it. And so to me, this idea of meaning and ideas and concepts actually existed before anything else, which is why now that we have all of these physical things around us, just various objects and items that we use every single day, the natural world, colors and whatnot, it all has meaning because that actually came first. That's actually primary. So if you're really going to understand the world around you, to me, it does make sense to get into symbolism so that you can start decoding these things and therefore to start decoding your life and start decoding like where uh, you come from, what you're all about you know, all of this type of stuff. So there's a reason why dreams are so important as well and why they're so symbolic and they're so loaded with meaning. They're very, very rich. And so having this kind of lens to look through, this perspective to look through, the symbolic lens, it really opens up just a whole new realm of meaning that is both personal but also something that kind of transcends you know everything really and so that's kind of how i see it is that uh symbolic value symbolic meaning is actually at the core of all the things that we actually have here which is why you can decode anything and everything
1: yeah it's beautiful it makes life so much more uh, alive it's more and more um vibrant and it just more connected, I should say. It feels like I've got a better connection with everything around me when I just appreciate these symbols, you know? I mean, just like I, I saw a gas station the other day, Amoco. I mean, red shift, blue shift, all the reds and blues. And there's parts of these symbols. Have you ever heard the expression, symbolism will be their downfall? And one way to interpret that is is they, I refer to they as Ephesians 6.12 talks about Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and authorities of this dark world, the principalities. And So that's the they. Symbolism will be their downfall. As we become more in tune with the power of these symbols, we can have more freedom, honestly. We can be more sovereign, and we just have more control of our conscious mind. Because these symbols, if you're not careful, they will influence you in some ways that uh, you just don't even know. You don't know. It, it, some of these practices, they're so true, they can be used for harmful ways. But it's really not a thing. Once you, once you study symbolism, you realize, oh, my gosh. You know this is, The way I think about it is this. When I studied uh, marketing and business, I learned, hey, when you go to some of these restaurants, there's a reason why they play the music loud. They want to turn the tables. So there's all these things that are done psychologically, whether it's audibly in that little example of playing loud music to shorten the conversation at dinner so they can turn the tables and make more revenue as a restaurant. Well, that's an example of audible symbol being used to affect someone psychologically. Well, there's all kinds of things like that. If you're not aware of it, well, you're kind of getting played. You're not playing the game. The game's playing Mm -hmm. you.
2: Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And that's the one of the mind-blowing things when you get into symbolic literacy is you start realizing how much people are manipulated out there and how much you've been manipulated into thinking X, Y, or Z. And there's a reason why all of these ad agencies, they hire... Psychologists and they have huge, you know, teams that are really decoding what do people want to see, what sounds do they want to hear, what colors should we use. And it just gets very, very, very deep. And each culture kind of has their own symbolic language. So, an ad that might work in the US maybe is not going to work, you know, in Japan or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, there's uh, you have to regionalize things like that. And also, too, the fact that advertising and media uses subliminal symbolism as well. That just cuts right underneath the surface. And it's going to be something that you may not even perceive, but it's still affecting you. As you become more symbolically literate, you can start seeing some of these things out in the wild of, oh, I see what they're doing in that billboard. Most people aren't aware that that's what they're doing, but I can notice it and I I know what effect they're going for. So it's a really interesting study. But yeah, I completely agree with you with all of that. And when it comes to symbols and symbolism, there's four main functions that I've come across. So there's the mystical function, the cosmological function, the sociological function, and the uh, psychological function. And so with each symbol, there's different layers to what these symbols can mean, especially really basic old symbols too, as well. So every symbol is a complete rabbit hole. It's multifaceted. So you can research the color red as an example all week if you want. And uh, there's just going to be more to pull at and more to decode and everything. So it's really, really interesting that it works that way.
1: Yeah. And it's, when we use the word symbols, we talked earlier, when you were talking about the word alone, you talked about the number one. You, you, You also talked about the letter l so it's it's not just symbols or glyphs or art or images it's numbers it's uh, nature it's etymology it's symbols symbology is a, it's it's very 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 vast you i would say that Mario, you seem to be focused on the symbols of visual symbols you don't decode a lot of poetry or a lot of uh, spoken word. You tend to focus on the visual pieces, correct? Or the night sky. You do a great job with the night sky, I should say, in myth. So you do a lot with story, I should
2: say. Yeah, no, I I would say that's correct, though, generally. Yeah, because yeah. of my background with everything, I'm way more of a visual person. But it's really interesting as I've decoded things visually, it has influenced my decoding of other things when I'm reading a book or looking at a word. You know, I just want to throw out there too, right? All a one, all one alone, that L. L is an old reference to the supreme deity or God as well. Yeah, yeah. This is an old title for L. for God. So to me, there's just every single letter, every single color or, you know, any little shape really you can unpack to a great degree. But yes, to your point, exactly. I'm way more of a visual sort of uh, person and there's other people who focus more so on poetry and uh, etymology mm-hmm. and things like that.
1: Yeah. And just like Sir Francis Bacon, like he composed stories and words and, and theater and books with it's all coded literature. It's fascinating. Yeah. 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 Blows my. I mean, it's just amazing how um, some of our authors or some of the people that we've read, we could read them again if we had more symbolic literacy.
2: Oh gosh. There are books, there are films, there are other things, works of art that I've seen throughout my whole entire life. But they've taken on a complete new meaning once I got symbolically literate. And I'll just say that I'm still on my journey. You know, my project is called Symbolic Studies because I consider myself a perpetual student. So watching The Wizard of Oz, as an example, as a kid versus watching it in my teens versus watching it in my 20s and now watching it in my 30s. Whoa, there is just so much more going on there than I ever realized. It's really, really fascinating. But yeah, to me, you said it. You, you said uh, cryptography earlier. And yeah. so to me, it's like if you're going to write a poem, if you're going to create a work of art, an album cover, what have you, if you know the language of symbolism, if you know the science behind it, why wouldn't you make it as potent as possible to make it as timeless as possible? And so I think that's partly what's going on here is that These great artists or magicians or occultists or poets or whatever, they have an understanding of the symbolism. So when they write a sentence, there might be one, two, three, four different meanings behind the words that they're actually choosing. So if you're symbolically literate or if you're initiated, you're going to have a different interpretation of this sentence than someone who is, you know, not so much looking towards these things in their life. So yeah, to me there's a practical purpose behind all of this.
1: Yeah. And it's beautiful how these myths or songs and stories regardless of where you're at on your journey it still resonates, you know, like the Wizard of Oz, it resonates regardless of your kind of symbolic awareness. It's it's really beautiful. Well, I'd love to start maybe before we uh We're going to get into music, but this is a music philosophy podcast, and we're going to spend some time not just on music, but also philosophy, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take advantage of having Mario here. This is a real treat having you here, Mario, so I'm going to take advantage of it, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the Bible, specifically one of the things that was an obstacle, I should say, for me in pursuing, I don't know, more understanding or greater understanding with the teachings of Jesus or just the scriptures, was this idea of the night sky and the zodiac and constellations? And so, it, it was when I was listening to a, I guess, a teaching on uh, Aquarius, the waterman, and it's in Luke 22, verse 10. This is what began my pursuit of all right, I need to figure out these symbols. Jesus just said, He said it right here. Luke 22, 10 or 9, it starts with, they said to him, where do you want us to prepare the meal? He said to them, when you go into the city, you will see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him. He will go into a house. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks that you please show us the room where he and his followers can eat the Passover meal. And then the owner will show you a large room upstairs that is ready for us. Prepare the meal there. So Jesus is Using Again, he's using story and, and symbol, but he's using a specific symbol here regarding uh, the water, you know, man carrying a jar of water. And that requires, it's obvious when you study the zodiac, what who that is or what that is, what constellation that is. But now I have to get sharp. I have to now go learn, well, what, what does the man carrying a jar of water even mean? What does that symbolize? there's so much that's what's interesting about this when you go into the city the city represents our uh, the consciousness the higher our, our mind so when you go into that centered place and you kind of practice meditation you will have the opportunity for truth to be poured upon you and revelation revelation will be accessible and that's this idea of the jar of water being poured is water or truth or things being revealed, and it's beautiful because I love how water represents truth. I also like the idea of pouring. You know, it's not like a, you're not getting doused with a bucket. It's it's it, you know, it, it, truth truth and revelation or wisdom or just the life in general. It, it's a pouring and it's a beautiful pouring. But I love how this is direct reference to the night sky right here in front of us. And, and you can't deny it. There's no other way to explain the story other than surely these disciples didn't go into this city looking for a man carrying a pitcher of water. You know, they, that would be the strangest advice in the world.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's really interesting that you mentioned the city connection with the mind, right? And uh, this yeah, yeah. is fascinating because when you start getting into tarot symbolism, you'll notice that the sword suit, so all the cards that are associated with swords, has to do with air symbolism, which has to do with the mind. And so even if you flip the M in mind, you get wind. And so there's more air symbolism. And so our minds tend to want to see patterns. It tends to break things down and decode things. It likes to kind of categorize things, I would say. The same way a sword likes to break things down, right? It's not meant to put things together. The cup is more so like that. It's more of a unifying sort of thing. It's like a bowl or something like that. But the fact that you mentioned mind reminds me of air. And it reminds me of the fact that Aquarius, although Aquarius is known as the water bearer, it's actually an air sign, which is really interesting. And when you're getting into Aquarius symbolism, the thing you're going to come across Is that the urn of Aquarius, what's actually in that urn, when you start to decode it, it's kind of everything. It's electricity, it's ether, it's spirit, it's frequency, it's water, it's light. So sometimes Aquarius has even been referred to as the light bearer. And so that's the whole entire idea is that that urn or that jug can contain so many different things. And so, in some ways, that jug is also symbolically representative of the cosmos itself as one big, large container, I would say. Also, the whole idea behind it is that Aquarius exists in the night sky that is considered the celestial ocean. And so, all around Aquarius, there's all of these other constellations that are watery in nature or oceanic in nature there's fish and sea monsters and things like that and if you're going in order through the zodiac you're going to first hit capricorn so capricorn is the sea goat um so that's an earth sign but there's this watery connotation with it being a sea goat half goat half fish and then you get to aquarius And then finally, the last sign of the zodiac is Pisces, which is the fish, which is actually an air sign. So the last three signs of the astrological year are actually very watery in nature. And so the idea is that Aquarius is said to literally from its urn pour celestial water from that jug and provide the waters for that portion of the night sky, which is also really interesting too because there's a lot of symbolism associating the flood, the great flood, um, with Aquarius. And the idea is that either the flood happened during Aquarius, or that the waters that flooded the earth actually literally came from a portion of the night sky that's very close to Aquarius. That's one of the myths.
1: I believe that one. I didn't even bring up I'm going to save my scriptures about the firmament for later on down the road, but I'm very interested in that subject. And it's something that is, um, Aquarius is pouring out the water onto the fish, right? Isn't Pisces directly below Aquarius? Next to, next to. Because I've heard that the fish, it's like the fish gets back to uh, John twenty-one eleven when you cast your nets to the right side of the boat the right hemisphere of the brain is where you'll find higher consciousness. How many fish did they catch when they cast their net to the right hand of the boat? There's 153. 153 equals nine. Nine represents 108 stars is how many stars are in the constellation of Aquarius. That, That also totals nine. So that's another symbol. These numbers are real important when you just, it's something called numerology or gematria, but it's a part of symbolism that we could spend many a whole episode talking about that, but but it's all through the scriptures. There's a whole book of the Bible called Numbers. So whether it's the zodiac, whether it's numbers, there's all these beautiful things in the scriptures that are um,
2: they're occult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, no. Uh, thank you for bringing this to my attention. And uh, Aquarius, there's so many different beautiful things to say. One of the things I feel called to mention is just that in the tarot the card that corresponds with Aquarius is the star card. And so the star card, to me, I've broken it down in other videos, but in my opinion, it actually relates to Polaris, or the North Star in the northern sky. And so when the Virgin Mary is referred to as uh, Stella Maris, the star of the sea, it's a reference to the North Star, which is the guiding star, basically. So it's what sea navigators used to understand where they were going because it's in the northern sky. So as long as you know where Polaris is, you know where the northern sky is, or you know where north is, excuse me. And just around Polaris, you have Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, which each have seven stars, and they revolve very closely around Polaris. And you can oftentimes see in the star card seven stars you know in the night sky and that's like very much emphasized so to me there's a lot of reason to believe that you know in the tarot the star card the actual star itself is the north star
1: yeah i heard you say that recently on on one of your uh, episodes or one of your lives and i thought of the the beer stella artois you know it's got that on the neck of the the bottle it's got that star it, it looks, I got to count how many points are on. I bet it's seven, but it's, uh, it's no wonder that Stella Artois has that symbolism on their beer, on their bottle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly.
1: Well, I, speaking of stars, let's get into the stars. Let's talk a little bit about what the scriptures say about the night sky. And then we're going to uh, move on, but I, I think it's so important. The the night sky is sort of like talking about cerebral spinal fluid (laughs) or the pineal gland. Like, you can't talk enough about it. There's so much to talk about, there's so much to explore, and it's that important. And the night sky, the scriptures tell us in Psalm 147 he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. So, the source of all, the creator, of the universe otherwise known as God by most people he determines the number of the stars and he calls them each by name so not only has he counted them all but he knows their names he's given them a name if you give something a name it's important you don't just name stuff you name stuff that you've put thought into creation into That's, that's who names things so they're there's names to these stars, and Genesis, first, first chapter in Genesis talks about, Genesis 1, verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the sky. These lights will separate the days from the nights. They will be used for signs to show when special meetings begin and to show the days and the years. They will be in the sky to shine light on the earth, and it happened. So God made two large lights. He made the larger light to rule during the day and the smaller light to rule during the night. He also made the stars. Everyone's familiar with the Magi. And in Matthew chapter 2, there's all this obvious pursuit and excitement of of this star in the sky, this eastern, eastern star. The King Herod, he asked the Magi for the exact time of this star, so they knew. Imagine the timing's important when you think about the night sky. Things are beautiful because there seems to be a, a real divine cycle of time that's happening. And when these astrologists and really seekers of wisdom unlock those timing of the sequences, it is powerful. That's how they do magic. But you see it in the scriptures. You see it in Matthew chapter two. It's all in there about the birth of Jesus. The prophet Zoroaster, He's the one, he was an Iranian prophet. He's the one that sent the Magi. And it was because of the he had a vision of a virgin birth, a Virgo birth. And it's just beautiful how all of these stories and different religions from different time periods, they all kind of come back to the same place. It's the night sky. It's really, really awesome. And I love it because I love some sun symbolism. I love Christ symbolism. I love studying the night sky and especially, you know, how the sun moves through the Zodiac and what that means around the winter solstice. It's really, really beautiful. It's exciting, but it starts with kind of getting comfortable with it, honestly, getting comfortable with it. And I wanted to point out here in Job, just a couple scriptures. Job 38, Mario is a fun, fun scripture to read because it's, it's fun to talk about. There's so much thought-provoking questions being asked, and I honestly love them all. But let's go ahead and skip to maybe verse. I'll just get right to the constellation. Let's go to 31. Can you tie up the Pleiades? Can you unfasten the belt of Orion or Orion? Can you bring out the constellations at the right times? The word constellations there, I use the word constellations, The scriptures or the ancient texts use the word Maseroth. Can you bring out the Maseroth at the right times? Can you lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws that control the sky? Can you put each star in its place above the earth? So here's just kind of a conversation or a dialogue that the supreme being of all is having with, I guess, Job. And then this other one, I would encourage everyone to read Job 38, especially if you're familiar with the scriptures and you're interested in learning more about the Zodiac. Because there's there's here's permission. If you're looking for permission to go study the night sky and learn more about the Zodiac, and uh, you, you've got it right here in the Bible. I've given you a couple scriptures. But Mario, I'd be curious on what your thoughts about these scriptures, because you know a lot about, like you just said, Polaris. And Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, Pleiades, Orion's belt. I bet it's pretty cool to see to see these constellations referenced in biblical texts, but these constellations they're they're referenced in all sacred text
2: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. Yeah. these constellations matter. <laughs> so there is so much going on with every single constellation with the name of each star of each constellation. It is mind-blowing. I have a few references where they go through the different words or titles that have been associated with individual stars within constellations. You know, the Hebrew sort of word for it, the Sanskrit word, you know, all of these different words that different cultures have used for these same stars. And it's really amazing how much overlap there is from culture to culture. You know, why is Mars, as an example, a wandering star planet, always referenced as being a planet of war, the red planet, you know, um, tied to bloodshed and sacrifice and things like that. There's a kind of a universal quality that you'll come across. And so you can kind of syncretize things as you look into different holy books and see how they referenced this one star or one constellation. But, you know, as an example, one of the things that I think is really fascinating is the fact that where here it says, can you tie up the Pleiades? Can you unfasten the belt of Orion? That right there in and of itself is so layered. It's so simple, but there's so much going on there, including the fact that the Pleiades is a seven-starred constellation above Taurus. It's actually technically within Taurus. So it's what is called an asterism, I believe. But there's seven stars to the Pleiades. It's often called the Seven Sisters. And then with Orion, there's seven main stars as well. And so to me, that's kind of just an interesting sort of thing to think about. Is it a reference to the number seven, perhaps, in some way, shape, or form? You know, I'm not sure. And then right after that, it says, can you bring out the other constellations at the right times? Can you lead out the bear with its cubs? To me, this is another reference to Ursa Major, which has seven stars. So what are the odds that just right there, right next to each other, we're talking about three different constellations that have seven main stars. That to me is incredible. Wow. You know, so absolutely, there is so much to decode with all of this stuff. And personally, it's like, I'm more interested in the scriptures the more tarot I learn, the more astrology I'm aware of. As I continue to study, the scriptures and the Bible has actually become more important to me as kind of a, uh, as a resource, basically.
1: I totally couldn't agree more. I was telling somebody, it was probably a year or two ago, I said, listen, here's what's amazing is I thought all of the stuff that was heretical— or blasphemous, or was considered that was supposed to. I was told it would it would hamper or hurt my relationship or my pursuit of Christ in the mind of Christ and this idea of uh, just being more connected with with my divine self. I was told that it would, but it's done the complete opposite. It's made it much more alive and much more real. And I I like just this idea of it feels connected. Everything feels much more connected to uh, just, again, my life. Things I, I read and I see, they're much more applicable. I can use them in my daily life. And the scriptures before weren't like that, honestly. They weren't that useful. Now I can see how important it is to kind of practice that stillness or to spend that time Solo, alone, practicing self-love, getting into nature. There's all these things that are very, very clear that are, uh, once you learn the symbols, it, it just jumps off the page.
2: Oh, gosh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll say one of the interesting things has been talking to my father about his sort of religious practices and, you know, what he's learning at church and he goes to different men's groups and whatever. And so he likes to talk about what's going on with all of that and what he's currently reading. And I can have a conversation with him about all of this, um, not because I've read the material, but because I'm familiar with seasonal symbolism, with astrology, with all of this other stuff that I'm interested in. And so we can have a back and forth conversation about some of this stuff And I feel as though he's adding to my awareness, even though this isn't really his cup of tea, you know, getting into the symbolism of everything, but it's opened up kind of another avenue for us to have a conversation about, you know, different scriptures and whatnot, just because I have this background with everything. So it really only adds to your awareness of things, as you're saying, for sure.
1: What Morrow just talked about is this idea of having a map or a framework and, uh um, it's nice to have a framework to kind of work off of. And I, Mario, one of th- you've shared before on your lives in your uh, videos, you like to spend a lot of time outdoors with nature on going on hikes and uh, just kind of adventuring off. I believe in, or I don't believe I know in order to have a safe, otherwise pleasant hike or expedition or trip, or journey especially if you're going overnight it's real important to, to kind of have a map kind of really plan and prepare and get an understanding of where am i going and how am i going to do this expedition or this trip and it, it's so important you know there's things that you have to learn you have to take time to learn how to how to maybe navigate a top you know a topo map or or how to operate a compass or find You know, the North Star. Uh, There's things that you have to learn if you're going to be successful on any trip or expedition. And I think I've heard recently, uh, I shouldn't say recently, last year, Alex Sacken, he's got a wisdom tradition. I don't know if you watch his YouTube channel, but it's a great YouTube channel. And he had a discussion, I don't know, it was a few years ago, maybe it was a year ago. It was on this idea of an ontological map. And ontology is basically the study of what's real, what's true. You know, water is wet, fire is hot. Those are ontological statements. So if we're going to go through life and navigate life in the most effective way, it's important to have an otherwise kind of framework or map. And, and that's what an ontological map is. And I had never really thought about creating one until I listened to Alex talk about it. I think everybody organically creates one. We build one as we kind of move through life. But Mario, I'm curious for you, have you put mind and thought to your ontological map of how do you kind of frame up what is true north? This idea of a value system or a belief system because it's made up of your life experience, your studies, you mentioned your relationship with your father. That is something that is part of your ontological map. It affects how you orienteer or move through life. It's a sacred relationship. Um, there's parts of our lives that inform our map or this idea of what true North looks like. But I, I think it's an important discussion because I don't know how many people stop to think about, well, what is my ontological map? What is my value system? How do I kind of move through this time and space? And, and maybe I should consider some of these things.
2: Right, right. Excellent question. For me, what has become really important over the last, I would say, two or three years, and I've started talking about this on my channel and on other shows, is this idea of a sacred center and that there is a core to everything. And so just like there's, I was referring to the idea earlier that concepts and narrative and meaning and symbolism came before physical reality before the actual objects came to be. And so to me, those ideas or concepts would be the symbolic sacred center of these things. So to me, it's it's like no matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're breaking down, no matter what you're decoding, there is a core. That is to say that there's an essence or that there's an origin or that there's a seed, right? From which everything kind of unfurls or comes from. And so a really basic thing to study it's more of an eastern sort of thing but studying the dot if you can get into dot symbolism which I've done and so I've read entries and I've gotten into like what just does the dot mean well it means everything and it also means nothing it's the universe but it's also the origin of, of the cosmos itself it's a seed it's also an eye it's also a center and so the idea is that everything emanates from this sacred center from this dot if you will but it also returns back to that exact same dot and so this to me is what the sacred center is about is that everything is expressed from the same location it returns to and so to me i look at this kind of like uh, the toroidal field i'm not sure if you've studied the taurus field or not right yeah Um, love love it Yeah, it looks like a donut, (laughs) basically. But the idea is that energy is expressed from its center, but it also returns back to its center. So in a way, dot symbolism or this cycle that I'm trying to explain, it kind of is related to the wheel as well. So a wheel will turn, but it also returns back to where it came from, and then it just turns again. This is the nature of time. This is the nature of cycles, is that the beginning is the end, essentially, and the end is the beginning. So within the tarot, you start with the full, you go through the whole entire major arcana, and then you end up at the universe card, only to come right back around to the full card. So you know, when one door shuts, another one opens, the end of one chapter is just the beginning of another. And so I relate this to the concept of the sacred center is what I refer to it as. There's a sacred center to the cosmos. There's a sacred center to, you know, to earth, to ourselves as well. And so I put a lot of stock into this idea. And I think that the circle or the dot or the circle with a dot in it, which is the circumpunct, which has been referred to as the eye of God or the Godhead, same sort of idea. When you look into the circumpunct, it's also known as the monad, the one, the idea is that everything comes from that dot. The circle comes from the dot and the dot comes from the circle. So it's just this holistic sort of system where the expression is returned to itself. And so it's self-contained that way. So that's kind of like the the map that I tend to think about. And I tend to think about this in terms of me also being an expression of this exact same cycle. There's a core essence or being that I have. And I have a, a, a unique perspective. And I would say that this would be my soul. And so I would say that there is an inner part of me and there's an outer part of me. That's the same thing with the Taurus field as well. There's an inner core, but then there's an outer expression as well. Yet it is the exact same system. And so that's how I tend to think about things. So as an example, I'm a person with a unique perspective. I'm a human being with my own psychology, with my own experience. Yet I am part of a great system. I am a leaf on, you know... Uh, The tree, the world tree, as an example, you know, so I know that I occupy one space on this great tree, but I am part of this tree as well. So uh, the same way a large tree has a central trunk and then it has branches that branch off from there and then you might have fruit or nuts and leaves and things like that their experience if you're a berry on a tree as an example your experience is going to be very different from the roots from the deepest roots of the tree yet it's all part of the exact same system so there's a holistic thing going on here you know so i know that i'm an expression of the original creation right and i know that i'm going to return back to that as well so hopefully yeah. all of that makes sense but that's how i tend to kind of see of things sense nice nice right on so that would be that would kind of be my framework or map
1: i heard a lyric recently it said uh get it down to nothing everything that matters (laughs) it's like all right i gotta gotta get it you kind of this idea of finding that stripping everything else away finding that center sacred spot and that's where everything that matters when you get it down to nothing and we'll be covering that band in a few weeks but this idea of philosophy, I should mention, I didn't want to spend too much time on the word philosophy because I think everybody knows what it means, but I love one definition. I think I've heard it. I'm not sure from who. It's just this principle of establishing harmony with universal law or cosmic law or just having peace with just this existence and this journey. And one way to define to that is to philosophize to talk to people and and hear well what well how do you approach this and what are your thoughts and I love that idea of that that sacred center that monad and kind of that's base camp you know that's the starting point and then being real sensitive and maybe maybe protective or just very much aware of or stewarding that well. What are the other outside, outside that one, outside that monad, what are the other variables or life experiences or influences or things that I might be setting my eyes to or just relationships. There's all these things that affect our framework. You know, just the news we watch or the the, the people we spend time with, these are things that can interrupt that sacred center that you just described or, or they can I guess they can confuse the matter or maybe kind of get in way of it in terms of priority.
2: Right. No, exactly. I see that happening all over the place. (laughs) And so I really feel like um, as you strengthen your relationship with self and as you understand your truth and your story, reality becomes much more clearer. And so you can lose focus if you don't have a healthy relationship with self. I think the external world is going to be obfuscated. I think it's going to be a little bit distorted to you, you know, but as you uh, tap in, I think that things become way more in focus. At least that's been my experience.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to switch gears and go into music, but anybody that is interested in kind of thinking more about this idea of a framework or a map for your life, I would encourage you to, I'll put a link to the lecture that Alex did on, on wisdom tradition. It, it's a good one. And uh, it really helped me. He, did, he also did a good job with helping organize, like with triads, kind of coming up with principles of three when you begin to think about this idea of having a having a map. Because, you know, there's so much. We, we talked about symbolism today. Symbolism is a huge part of an ontological map. If, if you're going to kind of navigate life you want that kind of cog in the wheel. You also have your, you know, your your religious experience or your life experience. There's all these things that kind of make up that wheel or that map. And it's beautiful to to kind of take authority over and really have ownership over this idea of a map in which you will have it's a battlefield out there. And if you're gonna navigate this battle. You need a good plan. You need a map so you can avoid the pitfalls and and maybe the, maybe if you've learned some lessons, you want to include that in your, uh, your map or your game plan moving forward.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, I really like what you said regarding triads and there is a triune nature to the one as well. And so when you're dealing with the monad, Pythagoras said that anything and everything can be broken down into three different parts, which I think he's absolutely correct. So even when you're dealing with polarity or duality, the positive and the negative, there's the space in between. And so there's the positive side, the negative side, The passive side and then there's the the bridge in between those two energies so there's actually even within polarity or the pole there's three different elements and i just think it's really interesting as well the fact that three and tree etymologically are so closely related you know all you have to do is add an h and you get three and you have the roots of the tree you have the trunk of the tree and then you have the branches of the tree as well, so there's a lot to be said about all of that, but absolutely the the concept of the Trinity, or this triune God, something along these lines, I think, is very, very relevant and uh, important to understand. Yeah, it is.
1: Okay, so let's get into Healing. I think that's the correct way of pronouncing it, Mario. Healing is this band that you've introduced me to, and it's been cool. I listened to this this band called or this group called Baka Beyond Spirit of the Forest. It's just real kind of tribal music. I, I think I went to an IMAX film when I was young and it was the it was the score for the IMAX movie. And I fell in love with it. I loved the music. And so it was fun for me to remember that. I'd forgotten that I loved that real earthy, primal, tribal sound. And this band, Healing Man, they've got but wow. It really evokes kind of that real primordial uh, feeling that, that music has the opportunity to provoke It just really, really connect with sound in a way that is... Uh, I'm interested into it because it's new. It's not something I'm real familiar with. So anytime I get a little taste of, of a listening experience that is fresh and new, it's exciting to me. And healing is very, very different. This is a band that's out of uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. And they've got an interesting origin. I think uh, like most of these alchemists or fantastic artists. They've got other things going on. And then this art or this creative project or process is is maybe a passion project. It's something that really, really feeds their soul. So it's, it's neat. The origins of this band is pretty interesting. I'll let everybody kind of do their own research because we want to stay focused on the music. But the music, goodness, they, the instruments that they use, they're using instruments that are man-made instruments. These are, these are not instruments you could buy at a store. I think, I think they've, made, they've made them and they've come from natural materials, natural animals, and the sound and just the cadence and the rhythm and the beat... Of everything is really, really natural, it feels, but also just, man, remarkable. You can't help but notice it. How did you find this band? Who taught you about Helam?
2: <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure exactly where I first heard them, but they're on a label. I don't know if they've been on the same label for years now, but I'm familiar with their label. So I'm a metal head, essentially. Okay. I like, I've like i listened to metal my whole life. I used to listen to a lot of hardcore and punk, and I've done a lot of artwork, actually, and design work for different labels and bands and whatnot, T-shirts and album covers. And so I was familiar with the label, and that's probably where I first heard them. And it was love at first sight. As soon as I saw their first video or heard them for the first time, I was really into it. I showed my girlfriend. She was really into it. We saw them just before the pandemic. It was actually like the last show or last public thing that we were able to do before things shut down. And then funny enough, they were actually the first thing uh, that we did. They were, It was the first experience uh, concert that we had gone to post pandemic when things had uh, opened up again. And so that was kind of interesting for them to be the first and then uh, the last as well. But yeah, they put on a fantastic live show and they really, man, I think they just respect their audience. I think that they know what they're doing from a spiritual sort of perspective. I think it's more than just music for them. They go out of their way, as an example, when they are touring and they're putting on one of these shows it feels more like a ritual actually Uh, there's a performance element to it it doesn't feel like a lot of other bands that i've seen before and they will go out of their way and they will bring native people of wherever they're performing to actually be part of the ritual with them so they had several Native American women performing a ritual with them both times that I saw them from uh, the Pacific Northwest. And so to me, there's just a, there's a resonance with everything that they do that way. And you you said it, this earthy sort of quality. To me, I think that is one of the key words is definitely, you know, bringing us back and kind of just acknowledging the relationship humans once had with earth. And so it's, um, there's this archaic, primordial thing as you mentioned but in all of the best of ways in a, in a very kind of grounded sort of way so whenever i listen to them somehow it brings me back to center you know i think that i've gotten a lot out of just seeing how they do things and just seeing the respect that they have for their craft and for uh, their live performances and things like that i can't get enough of it and i just highly recommend people check out their music and uh, see them live if you ever get the opportunity.
1: Well, they're coming. They're they're touring again this, this summer or the, later this summer. They're coming. I know they're going to be in Atlanta, which is real close to me. And I think that's the first city on like a 15 or 20 city tour here in the lower 48. So yeah, everyone should go check them out and in, in, in support their music because it's, when you said you went to a live show, I immediately thought, "I bet there wasn't one person on their telephone or looking. I bet they didn't even have their phones on uh, at, <laughs> right, at a show right. like this. It, it would look weird. It wouldn't make any sense." But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's people on their phones at these concerts. But I, I just can't see that happening.
2: No, no, not not really. Not not from what I noticed. It was a very lively, engaged, passionate crowd. For sure. I mean, people show up and they're wearing similar costumes to what they wear on stage and in their music videos and stuff like that. So it's it was kind of, I've never been to something like this, actually. I've been to a lot of shows in my day, but not where everyone or a lot of people were kind of like dressed to the nines in spirit of what this band, you know, represents and everything else. So it was excellent people watching (laughs) as well. And it was just really cool to see people be really enthusiastic for them.
1: Well, if you're a metalhead, you ever go to a guar show?
2: (laughs) That's hilarious. I have not yet. No, no, no. (laughs) Have you? No, but I know they're they're known for their costumes. They are. They are. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Their their costumes, they're a lot different than uh, (laughs) than Healing's. One of the things, I I also fell in love with this other band called HU, and they're like a Mongolian version Mm. of Healing. I shouldn't say that. That's probably a terrible comparison. But in the sense that it's H.U. or who, they they it's almost like war anthem type Mongolian yeah. tribal music. I don't describe healing as war music or, or warlike. Honestly, it feels more, I don't know, just kind of like spiritual. It doesn't feel like violent or, or warlike to me. When I listen to it.
2: And uh, both groups have like throat singing elements, right? And so that's another yeah, comparison you're between right. the two. Yeah, they do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Healing translates, healing translates to healing in Germany. Mm-hmm. And let's go ahead and watch that video. Let me go ahead and share my screen. Sure. We're going to watch a video called Ananoa. Or Ananoa. How, is that how you would say it, Mario? Ananoa? Yeah. Ananoa. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm saying it wrong. And this is this is a brand new song. I shouldn't say brand new. It's it's from uh, this past. I think it came out in the last year and a half or nine months ago. So we're going to listen to a song called I don't know. We're going to uh, talk about it. We're also going to talk about the video. So if if you're interested in uh, really participating in this conversation, I would encourage you not just to listen to the song, but go to their YouTube channel. It's a real pleasure when an artist takes this much time in the cinematography and the costumes and, and everything that goes into a video like this, you're missing out if you don't take the five minutes to go watch it. So please do that. All right. This is, I don't know. Helon.
0: Hello. Lasers in the jungle requires your participation. If you are driving or busy with another task, as you hear my voice, it is very important that you press pause. When you hear the sound of the golden harp, that is your cue to prepare your mind for a listening experience. Consider the garden of your mind. Is the soil hard and impervious? Or is it rocky, busy and burdened? When the soil in the garden of your mind is well prepared, rested and still, then and only then should you listen to the music. The music should be played at maximum volume and accompanied with adequate review and study of the lyrics. Once you have received and listened to the music, come back and join this episode. Thank you.
1: First of all, not just the song, but gosh, what a great video. It it seems
2: inspirational, if you ask me. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I love the song, but the video, the first time I saw it was this morning prepping for the show. And I was like, holy cow, that is an amazing video. I've heard the song before, I've seen it performed live, even, but I had never seen the video. And they're just such a high quality band. Like everything that they put out, you know, including the artwork and their merchandise and everything else, I just feel like. They do a lot of things right. And that ending really stuck out to me when I saw it this morning because I, I think I know what they were speaking about. And there's this Norse belief that there was a primordial cow named Mdumbla. And this cow is also referred to as an auroch. And there's actually a rune called the Uruz rune. And this rune and this energy of this cow uh, which is very close to like a buffalo. So buffalo symbolism and cow symbolism are completely related to each other. And so anyways, it's a reference to Adumla, this Norse myth, which is credited for um, basically, you know, the origin of humanity. So you people can look into the mythology if they want, but that is who she's actually meeting at the very end, who she's running up against. So it really is kind of speaking to... You know uh, this archaic revival. That's what Terence McKenna used to call it—an archaic revival. So the return of you know maybe older traditions and things like that. And so it's basically saying, I think that there's a lot of symbolism in uh, this film that suggests that woman perhaps may have been the primordial or first sort of gender, perhaps, and that it's through woman that we actually come into this reality. And so she was giving birth right in that little hut. And I love the fact that after she gave birth, I love the fact that there's two band members, two or three band members in there, you know, performing on their drums or whatever. (laughs) And then I love that they zoomed into the very top of that hut. And so it just, this is, Basically, when you're getting into hut symbolism, you're getting into dome symbolism, which you're getting into firmament symbolism, which then therefore, by extension, you're looking at the northern sky, you know, so there's this idea that the northern sky is where the throne of God is. It's also the idea that this is where humanity comes from and returns to. So there's a correspondence with the northern sky and the northern portion of earth as being this sort of sacred center that I was referring to earlier. Um, A lot of people think that the Garden of Eden potentially existed at the North. And so there's a lot of Eden world tree, tree of life symbolism related to to the North. And so they definitely embrace kind of, you know, their Northern heritage, as you can see with some of the symbols that they have on their drums and whatnot. So yeah, there's a lot to get into with that video, but I think it's absolutely beautifully done. So thank you for making me aware of the video. I can't believe I hadn't seen it sooner.
1: Well, tell me again the name of that deed. So the buffalo or the cow represents, who is it again? So I want to study this myth. It's the Norse myth of who? So it's a
2: A-U-D-U-M-B-L-A. And uh, basically it's a primeval cow. And uh, my understanding is that uh, the first giant was encased in ice and a licked the ice away to free the giant and then this giant basically survived off of her milk and there's this whole idea of four rivers of milk kind of coming from her udders which this is kind of a concept related to the north there's this idea that four rivers come from the north from Mount Maru so it's a really interesting sort of thing but adumla is what i'm referring to and then the rune that corresponds with adumla in my opinion is urus so you are u z okay, yeah, so I think that's what they're referencing. that's what I'm picking up at least
1: and the effort that that probably goes into making a video like that is uh doesn't go unnoticed probably i mean you you've got background in film and video you you know it's a lot a lot of work putting that kind of uh video together with that many people, and again, I wonder what the geography was you know they're they're kind of a Scandinavian vibe but they're from denmark mm-hmm. that did not look like copenhagen denmark where that was filmed that looked like new zealand or something or maybe scotland
2: right 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 yeah no beautiful locations
1: yeah yeah and all the animals that was so cool that big moose in the forest that she saw it was just really really just powerful images exactly exactly. It's not your typical music video
2: that's for sure no definitely not i'm so glad you appreciate their music it's really cool i you know I threw it out there and, the, and then you I got do. back to me and you told me you liked it and you've been going down the rabbit hole and everything else. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I will say, you know, I we I was thinking, uh, again, I love listening to it just all by myself. I love walking through the woods. I found when I'm driving and listening to this music, it doesn't make me anxious, but it makes me want to get out of the car. It's like I can't drive. and li- I need to be walking. I need to be touching the earth and really either or gardening or doing something with kind of the mother or the divine feminine. It really makes a difference. That's, that's why they make this music I believe is to really enhance that experience. Mario, I didn't mention, and I jumped right into it. I did talk about symbolic studies, but I didn't talk about your website or your YouTube channel. It's pretty easy to find. You just Google Mario symbolic studies. It'll, It'll probably come right up, won't it?
2: It should, yeah. But if people are interested, they can go to symbolicstudies.com and I have all of my links there. And uh, my name is Symbolic Studies on YouTube. And so the other sort of hub is Instagram. So that's symbolic.studies.
1: Yeah. I love your content for a lot of reasons. I think mostly, as I said earlier, you've clearly done a lot of research and homework. It makes me feel real comfortable with kind of receiving the knowledge. But you also provide it in a way that I like it. it's easy to digest it's not um too heady you know it's not not over the top with words that I'm not familiar with and that the images because of your background with you know graphic design it really comes through in creative process and anyway I just I love it I would encourage everybody to check out his YouTube channel and the other thing that's cool it's not all long form for somebody that might have a relatively a short attention span. I love those shorts that you do, Mario. They're 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 really really good. And and if you should follow Mario on social media, if you really want to receive that, because uh, he does a good job of you know some long form stuff, but he also does a great job with short bite sized little nuggets about symbols, and it's it's really good.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, I try and get to the point <laughs> as much as possible. So.
1: Yeah, That's all by I design. I it's awesome. Hey, well, as we conclude, I want to also mention uh, your lady friend, Michelle. She's got, you know, Michelle's healing home. I've, oh, since Easter, she's been talking about these plants. And uh, you, you've also with, with, uh, I guess, Jacob, the branch and a few, few people. It, it's cool, man. It's so real. It's so applicable. And that's another part of this journey that I said earlier. It's like, man, this is much more real. I feel more connected with life because now these plants and these trees, I understand them better. And, and that's a result, honestly, of paying attention to you and, and your girlfriend, Michelle. She's got a great YouTube channel called Michelle's Healing Home. She did a great cannabis roundtable last week. Before that, there was a lot of awesome gnosis on plants as it relates to the Bible and what they symbolize. This is just fantastic information that I would encourage everybody to uh, consume. Much
2: appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, no, she's a great herbalist. I really like what she's doing. And that conversation regarding biblical plants, uh, actually, to be honest, it has inspired her to learn more about uh, the scriptures and what's going on in there. So it, this has kind of been like her sort of avenue to maybe look deeper into the Bible, which I was, you know, I thought that was really interesting that she she said that because she did not grow in that. Uh, grow up in that kind of household, uh, but knowing that yeah. there's herbs and plants that she's familiar with, that she works with, has got her intrigued. And so it's been interesting to see that happen.
1: Well, I think it's it's good timing because there are people seeking alternatives for their health and their and their wellness. And it when they're supported by a biblical scripture and it's, it just feels cool. It feels like, wow, of course. Yes, of course. You know, this idea of, you know, food is medicine and medicine is food. You know, we, we can take care of our bodies if we take the time to uh, kind of study nature and really, really kind of connect with, with nature in a way that uh, it's cool that an herbalist, that's what an herbalist does. They, they're very connected with nature and, and and it's to your benefit to pay attention to the content or the ideas of, of an herbalist like Michelle. So um, I think it's cool. Well, well, Mario, thank you again. This has been a real pleasure. And um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is there's plenty of cool literature or tools or aids to help you as you go through the symbols. We talked about early on at this at the beginning of this podcast, some books to help kind of in this journey. Mario's got stuff on his website that'll help you. And and well, his channel alone will help you, but there's also additional content you'll find on his website. And I didn't know he had it until I visited his website. And uh, that was my fault for not going there sooner, Mario. Yeah, so check out Mario's website and Mario. Any any closing comments before I close you know this what? out?
2: Honestly, just that uh, I appreciate you and thanks for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to decoding some album covers with you. I think that's going to be a good time. And uh, yeah, I just I look forward to the next one, man.
1: Yeah, thanks again, Mario. Really appreciate it. And everybody else, be sure to check out uh, our website, Legends in the Jungle's website. Go to the social media and just engage. It really helps with the algorithms and uh, the opportunity for more people to listen. So thank you for listening. Until next time, let your love light shine and uh, have a great week. Thank you.
0: Pardon me. Will you consider a few declarations? Your words are very powerful and important. They build floods of manifesting energy within you. So I encourage you to repeat the declaration after me. I am relieved, soothed, and relaxed. I am confident, positive, and self-assured. I am thankful, contented, and fulfilled. I am healed, released, and liberated. I am loving myself right now. Loving myself implies loving others also. The more loved and whole I am, the more I have to give. Love one and other, self and other. T2G Foundation aims to help any initiate with any resources or truth-seeking opportunities that may have financial barriers. If you are interested in a book or taking a class or researching something but are limited in your pursuit because of a financial obstacle, please write to T2G in less than 100 words and be specific with your request. T2G assesses all opportunities and will provide financial assistance when alignment is confirmed. Email T2G at litjshow.com